From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, joining my joining me by telephone from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Victoria Kazmarek, who is the executive assistant to auxiliary bishops here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Victoria, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. So you have a very interesting job here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. You sort of hold together our a team of four auxiliary bishops. Um, what do you do as their assistant, Victoria? So a lot of it is scheduling. Um, another big part of it is just doing transportation, lodging, um, managing all of those schedules, making sure nothing conflicts, and also um, doing a lot of protocol. Um, there is a certain precedence um, for each auxiliary bishop and for Archbishop Rolio, so I just make sure that um, all of that is being followed properly, and they're giving the honors uh, that are due. So a lot of logistics involved in your job. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and uh, so I should uh, let our listener know who may not know, there are four auxiliary bishops here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. They are F. Richard Spencer, the vicar for the Eastern United States, uh, Bishop Neil J. Buchan, vicar for the Western United States, Bishop William Bill Mum, a vicar for the European and Asian Vicariates, and Bishop Joseph L. Coffey, vicar for Veterans Affairs. These bishops travel around quite a bit, right, Victoria? That's correct, yes. Um, they're pretty much on the road all the time, except for a few periods throughout the year when they're, um, uh, schools aren't in session, so there really aren't many confirmations to be had, but other than that, they're pretty much on the road 24-7. And so what takes them to visit so many places? You say they're on the road. I gather they're visiting, what, uh, Catholic communities on military installations or in VA medical centers? That's correct. Um, Bishop Coffey, he is charged with visiting the VA medical centers. Um, but the other three auxiliary bishops, they're traveling to our Catholic communities at different installations. Um for pastoral visits, but oftentimes it's for confirmation masses as well. I see. And what is a pastoral visit? So at a pastoral visit, um, one of our auxiliaries will speak with the head chaplain, head Catholic chaplain there, um, kind of get a feel for their Catholic community, their Catholic program, um, their religious education, um, just, you know, learning about the people who's there, um, just connecting with them, really, because these people go for so long without... Um, sometimes without sacraments or just without seeing um, their auxiliary bishops. So they are more than happy to to be there and and really interact with them. I see. And you say confirmations. Uh, the, the bishop, a confirmation is required to be administered by a bishop, correct? Usually you would not expect a priest to administer a con- confirmation. Is that right? So the bishop is the ordinary minister, of confirmation. So in some circumstances, a a priest could um, have the delegation to confirm, but ordinarily a bishop is going to do the confirmation. And I should add, uh, Victoria Kosmerich, that you are a a canon lawyer. You have your licensure in canon law from the Catholic University of America. 
Uh, tell me a little bit about that. How did you come to um, acquire that degree, and uh, what is it about canon law that interests you in particular? Sure. Well, um, let's see. Let's start at the beginning. I went to college at the Catholic University of America there in Washington, D.C., where I studied theology and philosophy, um, not necessarily because I had any particular career path in mind, but just because at that point I just loved the sacred sciences. Um, so let's see, fast forward a few years, junior year in college, you really start to think about your impending graduation. Um, what am I going to do with this? Um, so that's when I really started looking at my options. And my options as I saw them and really how they were presented to me was, one, go into pastoral ministry, work at a parochial level, be a DRE, youth minister, something like that, mm-hmm. which I really didn't see myself doing full-time. Option two, stay in academia and teach, which I loved the idea of, but at that point in my life, I just wasn't sure if it would fit in with my life plans, and I just really didn't want to make that big of a commitment right then. Um, but fortunately, the Catholic University, um, for those of you who don't know, is also a pontifical faculty of canon law, uh, the only one in the country. So I kind of went out on my own and understood canon law to be an option as well. Um, And there were quite a few things that kind of lined up well for me then to help in my discernment process. The first was my mother at the time was teaching at St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia, and one of her colleagues was a canonist, a lay canonist. Um, And up until that point, I had only really understood canon law to be a field for clerics. So he was extremely helpful to me. Um, just fielding questions and things of that sort. And he was able to provide for me a summer internship in the Metropolitan Tribunal of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, my home diocese. Um, And that was really my first real hands-on experience with canon law. During the school year, I was with the AMS, working as the Vicar General's intern. And the Vicar General at the time was John Foster, Monsignor John Foster, Um, who is an extraordinary canonist and very well-respected. And he was able to further me in my discernment process. And for those of you who know Monsignor Foster, he wasn't necessarily uh, subtle about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that was very, that was very helpful to me. That was, that was exactly what I needed. So combined with those two connections and the fact that I was able to take courses with canon law professors through the School of Theology um, to kind of get a little introduction into uh, the formal study of it. Um, Those three things just kind of sealed the deal for me. And you're talking about Monsignor John J.M. Foster, who at one time was the president of the Canon Law Society of the United States, uh, former vicar general here at the Archdiocese, has since moved on back to his home diocese. Uh, there in Stockton, California. We miss him very much. Um, so, uh, are you a cradle Catholic, Victoria? I am. My parents grew up working in the church my entire childhood. Um, my mother has advanced degrees in theology, so you could say it was something um, kind of instilled in me from the very beginning. I see. And so how do you find your canon law background um, 
working together with your current position, uh, handling uh, schedules and coordinating travel for the auxiliary bishops for the archdiocese for the military services? So I would say most of my canon law work there is actually in sacramental law, um, meaning um, those things which constitute the sacrament in its essence in and of itself. Um, also liturgical law, which is different, that concerns uh, like the ritual, so the books used, the vestments worn, um, things along those lines. So sacramental law and liturgical law, I would say, are my two biggest um, areas that I touch. I see. And so you're in Philadelphia. You live there with your husband, and I think you have a new child, right? That is correct. She just turned two. Well, uh, that's not so new. She's up and walking and probably talking to I know. Getting <laughs> <Then> into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the fact that the auxiliary bishops move around quite a bit, they're uh, always on the go. Uh, you do not work out of the pastoral center here in Washington, D.C., but you don't really have to, especially now in this day and age of working from home. Uh, how has that been for you? It's certainly been a challenge. Most of my work is done during nap time or after bedtime. <laughs> um, but like you said, it, in this day and age, it's, it's not completely you know, unattainable or impossible. It, it can get done, and especially with bishops who are traveling all around the world, everyone's in a different time zone. Um, so working in one location wouldn't necessarily be any better than working in another location. I'm talking to Victoria Kosmerik, who is the assistant to the auxiliary bishops here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Uh, Victoria, I suspect that uh, of the four auxiliary bishops serving the AMS, the Archdiocese for the Military Services, Bishop Mum would be the uh, uh, most challenging uh, schedule to, uh, his schedule would be the most challenging, would be my guess, because he's uh, covering Europe and Asia. That's... <laughs> territorially a huge, huge swath of the globe. And uh, you're right. dealing with uh, uh, airlines in other countries and uh, hotels uh, abroad uh, where uh, the English is not the first language. Uh, how, how has that been for you? It is more challenging than the other bishops, for sure. Um, there is a language barrier. Just even trying to contact some of these places is nearly impossible sometimes because you know, their working hours or when you're asleep. Um, so that's been challenging. But also the added factor of international travel um, is added for Bishop Mum because he needs special travel clearances um, and things along those lines. And we need to do all of that through the Department of Defense. How has the pandemic affected the bishop's travel? Um, it, it has affected it for sure. Um now that vaccinations are here, it's been easier. Um, in most places, you can just show proof of vaccination, and then you won't have to um, quarantine or anything like that. Um, but before that, I mean, it was it really depended on the place. And in some places, we weren't obviously even allowed to go. So for there was a period of time where there was just there was no travel, there were no visits. And in the case of Bishop Mum, uh, the vicar for uh, the European and Asian vicariates, you were having to deal with different rules in different countries. Some countries at one point uh, were requiring a quarantine when he would arrive, correct? Right, that's correct. 
And this is what distinguishes the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA from other uh, U.S. dioceses, and that is that it is a global archdiocese. Uh, our chaplains go where the U.S. military goes, so uh, our chaplains are basically all over the world. That's where Victoria Cosmeric comes in as the assistant for the auxiliary bishops. Um, so uh, what uh, kind of interaction do you have with the Catholics on the uh, military installations and uh, in the VA medical centers? Do you uh, handle a lot of inquiries, a lot of requests uh, for the bishop's presence? Uh, when uh, when, the, when a, um, a confirmation is scheduled on a particular installation, do they call you? How do you, how do you work all that out? So generally the auxiliary bishop himself will come up with his own rough schedule um, of when and where he wants to be. Um, and this is generally the same year after year, um, which is good for the installation because they have a rough idea of when they should expect bishops' visits. Um, oftentimes, these, milita- uh, these chapels have students for confirmation every year, which is a wonderful blessing, um, so they can tend to expect him every year. There are a few other places that really just don't have as big of a community, um, so they will request a visit from us. Um, but yes, it's just it's wonderful that these visits can really be counted on every year because of just how many people are present and how many people how many people need this. And wild guess, how many? trips would you say you plan uh, for the four uh, auxiliary bishops for the AMS per per year, roughly? Are you talking dozens, hundreds? uh, I would would say low hundreds. And so uh, obviously you stay quite busy. Yes. (laughs) Long term with your uh, licensure in canon law, uh, do you expect that uh, you will serve in a tribunal at some point? So before, well, I should say, um, I was working full-time in a tribunal um, up until COVID. And, of course, you know, COVID changes things. So I had left full-time ministry, and now I'm working with the AMS. But also, in addition to that, I am doing canonical work um, on the side. So I'm working with at present four different tribunals. I see. And what kind of work is involved in uh, your work with the tribunals? Or do you investigate? Do you adjudicate? Do you render opinions? Um, what's the nature of your work there? So to actually judge a case in a marriage tribunal, you need to issue the decree in that diocese. And Philadelphia is not currently one of the di- dioceses I'm working with, um, so I can't act as a judge. So in three out of the four dioceses I work with, I am a defender of the bond, which is essentially a devil's advocate, Um, whereas the entire investigation of looking at why this marriage may be invalid, the defender of the bond looks at what is rooting that marriage in validity, just to, you know, strengthen, strengthen the judge's argument a little bit. So you take a stand in favor of preserving the marriage. That's correct. And in some cases, that's easier than others, I suppose. Yeah, every every case is different. Um, and in some cases, it is easier to, to find um, why a marriage would be valid. But in other cases, 
sometimes I just need to submit to the justice of the tribunal because I can't see anything. Um, yeah, every case is different. Generally, how long is it taking these days for a couple to uh, get an annulment? I mean, that's going to vary from tribunal to tri- tribunal, but in my experience, um, I've seen roughly a year, and that's not necessarily speaking to um, the difficulty of the case, but, I mean, in this day, tribunals are so understaffed that it's just it's just being processed more slowly. Um, but again, that's going to depend on, on the tribunal and their staffing. Now, we've heard for many years now that uh, the uh, rate of divorce, even among Catholics, is roughly 50%. Is that still generally true, or is uh, uh, the p- the picture for marriages improving, or is it getting worse? Where, where do we stand? What's your feeling last, about that? The last I've heard, um, divorces were at roughly 50%. Um, but then we have to look at also those who are married in the church. Um, fewer people are being married in the church now just because um, I mean, they might want to be married on the beach or, you know, in a special place for them. Um, so when you say that fewer people are being married in the church, that also means fewer annulments. Um, but a lot of that also has to do with, um, like, premarital counseling and, and things along those lines. So I think if we want to lower that rate of divorce, it really needs to start before people are even married. I'm talking to Victoria Kazmarek, the assistant to auxiliary bishops for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. Victoria is also a canon lawyer. And we're talking a little bit about uh, divorce and annulments and uh, uh, tribunal activity in the Catholic Church, which is part of what you do uh, in your work and your ministry for the church. Uh, are you... Um, uh, what do you think is needed um, to uh, strengthen marriages in the church? We're, we're at, what, about 50% divorce right now. What could be done to improve uh, the um, uh, sustainability and, and the success of marriages, Catholic marriages nowadays? Victoria, what do you think? I think, um, well, we should really start before the people are even married. I think a lot of that has to do with premarital counseling, um, both inside and outside of the church, um, just so couples have an understanding of what to expect from marriage. I think a lot of the times troubles start because people just have unreasonable expectations where they think, okay, we have this problem, but marriage will fix that. Um, No marriage is perfect because no person is perfect. So I think people really just need to, to go in with the proper understanding of what to expect. Um, and that's not to say, you know, set your bar extremely low or anything like that, but um, just to know that, you know, just to know that marriage takes work, it's a partnership, um, just to just to expect the hard times as well as the bad, or as well as the good, I mean. I hear you. So let's go back to your work with the auxiliary bishops. Uh, the Archdiocese for the Military Services uh, serves more than 200 U.S. military installations in 29 countries. And um, 
also uh, Catholics who are receiving care at 153 VA medical centers. And your work, Victoria Cosmeric, involves making sure our arch our um, our auxiliary bishops get to these installations in a in a on a fairly regular basis. Question: What is a fairly regular basis? How often uh, should an installation expect to? a visit from one of our auxiliary bishops? Um, for most of the installations, that's once a year. Um, there are a few that are, um, you know, way out there, just who really don't have that big of a community where their visits are possibly every two years or something like that or only upon request. Um, but for the majority of the installations, it's every year. I see. And uh, is there a particular time of year when uh, the travel is more intense? I would think the springtime with, uh, uh, is, is when a, a lot of uh, confirmations take place, yes? Normally, yes, the springtime would be when confirmations happen. Um, but just because of the sheer number of communities who um, need a confirmation, that's obviously not possible to do all of our installations in the spring. So, they are scattered throughout the entire year, with the exception of a few months in the summertime when, you know, RCIA programs aren't happening. So if there are visits happening in the summertime, it's usually just a pastoral visit without a confirmation mass. Typically, how long will a pastoral visit take? How many days, hours? Um, for some, it'll be just a day if they're just in need of a mass. Um, other times, it'll be about two um, so that way the bishop has time to meet with everyone he wants to meet with, talk to the members of the community. Um, if he wants to speak to, you know, anybody working in the diocese, um, any sort of uh, entity larger than the chapel community itself, um, he has time to do that. Now, uh, Bishop Effertjord Spencer is the vicar for the eastern United States and Bishop Buchan for the western United States. Um, Bishop Spencer's visits are more closely, um, are closer together just because along the East Coast there are, you know, little pockets of, of places. Um, Bishop Buchan usually has to travel a bit more because he also has Hawaii and Alaska um, and all of those Western states that are much larger and lower in population. So he has to do a bit more traveling. And the West is a wide open space. and uh, Exactly. So... Uh, and uh, now how about Bishop Coffey? He's with the VA. He's the uh, Vicar for Veterans Affairs. Uh, he's pretty much traveling all over the all over the United States, including Hawaii and Alaska, I would expect, right? That's correct. I don't work too closely with Bishop Coffey just because um, the VA does operate a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, he, he's the same situation. He's traveling all over the place. Now, if someone listening to this podcast right now would like to request a, a visit from uh, their auxiliary bishop um, or Archbishop Brolio, um, what uh, what should they do? Should they contact you, or uh, how would they go yeah. about it? Yeah, for um, one of the auxiliary bishops, they could contact me and request a confirmation mass or just an Episcopal visit. Um, for Archbishop Rolio, they would contact Sister Lisa Marie Drover, his executive assistant, about that. Gotcha. And how would they reach you, Victoria Cosmeric? So my email is auxbpsecretary at millarch.org. 
All right. Well, very good. Uh, looking long term down the uh, down the pike, uh, uh, do you expect that uh, 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 you will pursue your uh, work in canon law? Is 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 that your um, ultimate career goal, or is that too far ahead to think about at this point? No, it is. This is something I'm very happy doing, and I expect it to be a a very fulfilling vocation for for as long as I can foresee. Very good. Well, Victoria Kosmerik uh, joining us by a telephone from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She is a, a canon lawyer, uh, holds a licensure in canon law from the Catholic University of America. She is also the uh, executive assistant to auxiliary bishops of the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Victoria, thank you so much for talking to me today, and uh, may God bless you and your work. Sure. Thank you so much, Taylor. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.